Over the last year or two, use of dark social media has been increasing as users turn away from public networks like Facebook to private networks on WhatsApp, Slack and Messenger. One of the things that scares social media people and sort of marketing types are the fact that the conversations that are going on nowadays are in places we can't get to. Partly as a result of this, employee advocacy is on the rise. Advocacy programmes allow companies to reach the private groups and conversations they can't reach through their corporate social media profiles. So how do you go about it? I go around all our sites and effectively all I do is tell them you're allowed to and we want you to. We are doing it from a brand perspective. Here are our channels, but we want you to do it too. Keith Lewis is social media manager at Zurich Insurance UK. Over the last few years, he's been developing an advocacy programme that is now reaping great rewards. The principle of getting people comfortable being social internally was really important. And once people start to do that internally, I found that people who will naturally come to the fore on an internal space are also the ones you can then pick up and say, you're really good at this. You're doing a great job in telling your story internally. Why don't you do that on LinkedIn or Twitter? Over the last three months of the top 10 pieces of content that people have shared, four of them are about our results, are about our gender pay gap improvements, about an investment that we've made in a particular location and, and our DNI work. So really important things are being shared, but also and there's a load of great content being shared by Zurich people with the Zurich name attached to them. That's the pull through. In today's show, Keith and I discuss everything from identifying internal advocates to setting up systems to creative input to the challenges that advocacy programmes create. This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Keith, so we first spoke in about September, I think it was, about how you were going to start rolling out an employee advocacy programme or tool at Zurich to get employees effectively to connect with the content you've been doing and to enable them to share that better with with basically whoever and whenever they like. I mean, that's a, a broad summary, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's a, it's been a really interesting sort of journey that we've been on as, as a company to um, to try and give the power back to colleagues in the business to kind of start sharing things. And I, and I come into um, this whole conversation from a, a background of being in media and PR. So I spent my first sort of six, seven, eight years at, at Zurich telling people to effectively shut up um, and, and everything comes through the press office in, yeah. in, in a traditional old school media relations where you're not allowed to talk and we control the message and then um, it all gets packaged up beautifully. But then, of course, social media happened. Yeah. And the culture that most corporate organizations have been through have been kind of taking people through that process of re-empowering them, giving them permission to get out there and sort of be experts in their field. Most of us have colleagues, everyone in our organizations are experts in whatever it is that they do. That's why they work for us. So giving them the power to get out there and talk about what they do and how they do it. But then also if they're doing that, then the firm will, will win off the back of it. So yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a really interesting process to, to go through to, to get people up and active again. Do you think it's, from your experience, quite common for large corporate companies to be trying to move towards this sort of model you're talking about? Or do you think a lot of them are still stuck 
in the trying to control the message phase? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think there's there's a lot of movement going on at the moment. There is certainly still there's, there's a realism element to it. Is that social's not going to uninvent itself, and people have networks and they've got profiles that they want to build themselves. So there's that element of it, but there is still a concern that when you when you release the power, you relinquish the power from the center to for in our case, four and a half thousand people, you do lose a bit of control and that, that will always make people a little bit nervous. Yeah. Um, but I think we're starting to see it more, but I think that there are different ways of controlling it and, and building it and, and talking about advocacy in a way that makes people comfortable. Um, and interestingly, you look at the firms who are starting to do it, they're sort of in areas that you wouldn't expect. Financial services, legal, are, are big on um, the, the drive to it. And I think it's perhaps those who have who don't have necessarily a product that people have about them that are na- people are naturally going to talk about. Yeah. Um, if you're out there in the FMCG space or you work for a company who makes great drinks or um, has great experiences on holidays or transport and that kind of thing, you're naturally doing it. But for those big corporates who are perhaps in the more service orientated or don't have a tangible thing to put in front of a customer, um, then then it's certainly giving the power out there. And there's also the, the changes that have been made to the platforms, the, the social platforms over the years, is that they're a tangible move away from corporates to people. Yeah. There's a people to people approach to, to comms and anyone who has a company profile page of any on any platform will know that views and visibility has dropped right down. So actually advocacy is, is a, a part of selfish solution to that problem. If we can't get messages out from a brand perspective, um, then we've got to find other ways to do it. And you kind of go down the traditional media relations front, which is still important, um, or you go down the um, employees and, and other publics, as um, we talk about in the PR world. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's a big issue with the way social media itself is moving, even over the last sort of year or two, where it's increasingly moving towards dark social, where, like you say, reach and engagement and everything else across public social media is falling. There's no Mm. hiding away from that. There's also the fact that people don't really trust corporate messages. I know that's a generalisation, but... We as people have become more and more and more cynical about corporate marketing messages over the last five or 10 years. And there was some McKinsey research that I read, which said that two thirds of the touch points in the consideration phase, when people are looking around for something, are human driven, not yep. marketing driven. So, you know, we've always talked in, in PR about word of mouth and, and, and that side of things. But it seems to me that that is becoming so important now, and especially, like you say, from a a more business-to-business or non-consumer product type way. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And you talk about dark social. I mean, I was saying at an event a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the things that scares social media people and sort of marketing types are the fact that the conversations that are going on nowadays are in places we can't get to. So WhatsApp conversations and groups like and and things like platforms like that as brands, we can't get in there. Yeah, that's certainly a a move that we need to embrace so that so the advocacy side certainly is is one of the solutions to that. And it becomes more authentic. If I say something through a Zurich handle, anyone's going to look and they go, well, of course, they're going to say that that's the that's the brand speaking. Now, if I do it under my Keith Lewis comms approach. It says there, I work for Zurich, but it becomes more authentic. I use an example internally of Doreen in finance in Leeds. We don't have a Dorian in finance in Leeds, I don't think. <laughs> but she's she's my she's my real person that I talk about. If she's saying something for no reason, we're not paying her enough to be out there. She's not an, a, a formal spokesman person. She's never going to be on the radio talking about Zurich. But if she's out there talking to her friends and her network, who are effectively our customers at some point, 
hopefully, yep. then it becomes a much more authentic conversation. And she's doing it because she wants to. Not We're not forcing her to. We don't reward her for doing it. People talk about those things because they want to. They're passionate about their area of expertise and the way we do things. And then they're, they're proud to do it. So it becomes a much more authentic conversation. And was that what you're describing here? Was that the key driver for your employee advocacy program at Zurich? I mean, what, what was it that kind of triggered for you the need to do this and, and why you set this program in, in place? Yes, it's been building for me over the years. So I, I started doing social at Zurich in, back in 2008 when Twitter was just becoming a thing and we weren't quite sure what was going on. And I actually only grabbed hold of the Zurich handles at the time because the issue at that point was cyber squatting. Right. So if we didn't if we didn't own the Zurich Inns UK or the Zurich handles, then somebody else would and then yeah. we'd end up having to pay them 10 grand, whatever it was at the time, for, for the privilege of getting it back. Um, so we kind of got it and then we realised that it was an, a new opportunity to talk to people and then we build the channels over time. But then I think I had a tipping moment when I, I heard a podcast from a lady called Sarah Goodall, who runs a, now runs an employee advocacy agency, but she used to work for SAP. Um, and she talked about numbers, and I'm not a numbers person, um, but it resonate with some. So if you look at the number of people that you can hit through a corporate channel, um, and then if you take 10% of your employee base, mm-hmm. Um, and empower them. If only 10% of them do stuff, the number reach goes up astronomically. Yeah. Um, and if I look at that, from a, make that real for, for listeners' perspectives, from a Zurich perspective, I can hit, if everybody who sees something on social sees it, so I can probably hit about 65,000 people, apparently. Okay. But if just 10% of our workforce does it in the UK, that potential reach goes up to about 300,000. Right. And um, which is a very different audience. Yep. It's people, it's a people-based audience who are who are connected to those people. And if you just take 10% of your workforce and that the reach goes up 10 times, then just the numbers start to work out and you kind of go, well, this is a massive opportunity. So that that was the kind of tipping point for me, obviously being in a PR space, thinking about taking a message from A to to getting it to B, the customer or the intermediaries in our case as, a, as an insurer, or um, how do we get messages to those people now and persuade them that we're the right people to do business with? That was in my mind, that was a tipping point that made me think we've got to do something here. And you, you talked there about being a, a kind of a different audience, your, your followers of your brand platforms and your effectively friends of employees. Mm-hmm. It is a very different audience. For sure. Internally, did you face any questions or resistance to to that specific topic from, from which side from a, from the corporate side or from the employee side from a corporate side in terms of i don't know is it the board or the senior management did they say yeah but do we want to hit doreen from finance's friends are they our real key targets um yes so yes um i had a little bit of resistance but nowhere near as much as i was expecting okay and it was a kind of approach from us saying yes that makes sense um, and if we can start to build it and it's helping us to get messages out there and it makes employees feel more empowered. I mean, all, all, the, all the research out there says that if they're en- an engaged workforce, stay longer, works harder, more passionate about what they do. So we're re-empowering that. And lots, lots of the structure changes that we've been through at, at Zurich and, and I guess many other organizations out there will have been through that process over the last couple of years in, in shrinking down and um, becoming more streamlined in trying to find ways of doing the same amount of work, but with less people. So how do we keep connected with people and all that kind of thing? Um, it was really a kind of a bit of a no-brainer really to, to, allow, to allow me to kind of get on with it and build it. Yeah. And I, so I haven't had any resistance. I've got some really good support from our leadership team, mm-hmm. um, which is always helpful. But I found that what I've done over the last couple of years is 
I've had to kind of rebuild the culture okay. to, to go with the, the whole change program uh, around the culture from we're not allowed to, to, to helping people understand that we want them to. Um, and they're allowed to. So I, what I call my permission to operate tool, okay. I go around all our sites and effectively all I do is tell them you're allowed to and we want you to. We are doing it from a brand perspective. Here are our channels, but we want you to do it too. So I've been doing that for about two or three years as a core part. Um, and then the, the platform element, which I think we'll come to in a bit, then change moves that on into the how we then do it practically. I've I've hit absolutely no resistance at all. So I made sure my first conversations were with leaders and our legal and compliance people because I thought that was where I'd hit the main problem, being in the financial services world. And I didn't. We kind of explain how we're going to do it. We try and what I say to people is I don't really ever want anyone to go and talk about insurance. Obviously, as an insurance company, which might sound a bit odd, but obviously insurance is a regulated space. We've got to be very careful about how we talk about products, particular products for, for people, because it's got to be um, take advice in certain areas on the life side. And we don't, we don't want to get into, yes, friend, you need to have this product, come and get it from us. That we're not allowed to have that conversation. Okay. But we can talk about the wider context of insurance, about being um, a finance expert in our organization, about being a, a process and IT expert in our organization about being an accountant or a financial reporter whatever it is that people do for us they can be the professional them on social really really well so stick to what you know in your areas and there becomes less less of an issue on that side so how did you go about kind of setting this this all up in the first place you identified the need to do it obviously and how did you get from that over the last two or three years to setting up this new software tool that you did sort of recently so we actually started internally. So I was sitting in in the internal comms team at the time. I've, I've moved around structurally. But at the same time, we were also bringing in Yammer as an internal comms yep. tool. And now we've, we've moved from Yammer to Workplace over the last 12 months. But the principle of getting people comfortable being social internally was really important. So I put a lot of time and effort into get people to, to get on to, to Yammer, to share their stories internally, to connect with people. And once people start to do that internally, I found that people who will naturally come to the fore on an internal space are also the ones you can then pick up and say, you're really good at this. You're doing a great job in telling your story internally. Why don't you do that on LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever it is they, they go? So it started to build that way. And then I created what I called a Club 140, which I think I shamelessly nicked the title from Dell, <laughs> um, to kind of just create a little um, influence, an internal network of people who were good at social, um, wanted to do more of it, and kind of wrap my arms around those and give them a little bit more training to take them externally. So we kind of had this nucleus of 100 and so people Zurich in the North America had started to use LinkedIn Elevate, which is a an employee advocacy platform. So they were using it in the US and they had been trialing that for about 18 months, two years. And then we had a new global CMO came in into the organization who knew about LinkedIn Elevate from his previous employer, came into Zurich in the middle of last year and said, we need Elevate. We're having it for the whole organization, which is like the gift from, from Mana for me, because of what I was going to do this year was to take my Club 140, kind of feed them a, a way of feeding them content, getting them to, to use it and post it in their own ways, and then sort of make the business case for having 
the platform like Elevate or Dynamic Signal or Post Beyond or Smart or whatever it is, whatever platform you go for, but that's quite an expensive process. So you've kind of got to find a way of getting people and make the business case for it to get the investment. Our new CMO coming in saying, here it is, everybody, has changed that conversation entirely for me because I can now just give the tool to everybody at Zurich, um, show them what to do, um, show them how to use it and kind of set them on their way. Okay. So with that 100, 140 people, whatever it was, what was the actual process you used to identify who those people are? I mean, how did you evaluate those people? Was it just the, the, the people who are the most vocal on your internal network or were there other factors to it? To be honest, there was no great science behind it. Um, it was those that naturally came up that were naturally starting to do it and I was just cherry picking yep. them. And then we did some internal promotion to say, we're creating a Club 140. Do you want to be part of it? Do you want to raise your social game? Are you interested? So it's kind of volunteer led. And then as part of the the talks that I would do to leadership teams around the business or groups of teams that I would, people would naturally come up and say, yes, I want to do this. And they'd sort of self-identify really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was no, no really no great science behind it. So we, we just kind of started it through and we're now using LinkedIn Elevate now as a, as a kind of key focal point for, for putting our content, but also other good content in there. And was it a case of effectively flattering those people and making them feel good about themselves for sure yeah did you get anyone say oh, i don't really want to do this thanks yeah, oh, well, yeah absolutely we did and i i always say to people i am never as a social media manager going to force anybody to do social no, no. if you don't want to do it you're not going to do it. I'm not, nothing about me is going to change that. And we've got leaders in the business who do that. We've got people all around the organization who say, no, it's not for me. I'm not going to do it. I would always say from a leadership perspective, providing they're talking about it positively, I'm less concerned if they do it themselves. Right. As long as you understand it, you're going to empower people. If someone says to you, can we do Twitter? And they say, yeah, you should do that. You should speak to Keith about that. Um, rather than saying, no, I don't do that. It's not for sure, me. Sure, sure. It's a, diff- it's a very different conversation, a different message and a different tone yeah. that helps people go to make, to make the leap and start to do it. Yeah. And, and do those internal advocates, let's call them, do they have a role beyond being the voices of the company externally? Do they have a role in encouraging others to get involved? I think naturally the sorts of people that do that will, will do that because because they are connected in their own teams, their own little worlds, and they're, they're raising their expertise. And I think there is a sort of inbuilt competitive nature to all of us. And if we see a colleague or a peer doing something or being more visible, most of us will go, um, how do I do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Can I do that? That's the kind of natural inquisitive piece. We don't have... I'm pleased from a UK perspective, we don't have any sort of big social egos. So we haven't got people out there. There are people who absolutely use social really, really effectively and have become, have raised their profile. And I, I kind of sort of play on that. And the platform we've got lets you gamify that. Okay. That we, we were not quite there, but we can leaderboard it. We can produce leaderboards. I have, had a, have an ongoing joke with our um, head of HR. This is, I, I don't want him to be the, on, in the top five on our leaderboard. Yep just because he's very competitive and he takes everyone else on that competitive journey and it makes other people try and get into the top five (laughs) to try and keep him away from it. Um, But it's that kind of soft approach to encouraging people to do it. And I I say, we don't want people to do it for any reason apart from the fact that they want to and they can see a benefit from it. And that benefit can either be personal or business. 
So I talk about social business a lot rather than social media, because if you talk about social media, lots of people in corporates who don't get it go into kind of silo lockdown mode. You can see them going, I just don't understand Twitter. I don't, I'm not, why am I going to Instagram mm-hmm. this? I don't want them to do that. Um, I kind of want to talk social business to understand that we have a business objective to sell more insurance products to more customers and through more intermediaries. We have to use social to help people do that. And if we can demonstrate that, and that's a really important part for me, is demonstrating the business value um, of using all these tools to make sure that our products and services are in front of the right people, the right decision makers, but also us as a company. And many listeners may identify with, with this approach is that sometimes when you're inside a large organization and you're in the business silo, the, the business area that you work in, you sometimes forget that you're part of an organization that's an employer in the UK, the sort of employer brand piece. So we've got 17 sites in the UK, four and a half thousand people. I could do the, the, the Zurich spiel for you about what a great employer we are and the charity work that we do and all the DNI work that we do. It's all great, but sometimes we forget that when we're sitting in the organization. And that's a, an, another key part of the business drive for me and for us is that we need to remind people that we exist, um, that we need more people to come into insurance, that we've got a range of career options for them, apprenticeship programs, grad programs, working skills programs. We do all the sorts of things in our local communities um, to do as well. And social is a really good way of doing that and talking about that and empowering employees to talk about that has a business win at the end of it because people want to come and work for us. They recognize what we're doing in Swindon, in Cheltenham, in Glasgow, in Bristol, or wherever it is we're doing it. And there's, there's a win across the board. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, or even if you're not, Digital Download Live takes place in May this year in London. This is the third year it'll be run, and it's going to be a fantastic day of presentations, audience-led Q&As, and interactive workshops. Digital Download Live is not one of those conferences where you go and sit passively in a huge auditorium listening to people talk for six hours. You'll meet like-minded individuals, you'll discuss ideas and opinions, and you'll get your hands dirty in highly practical sessions. This year we're covering topics including the conflict between technology and humanity in marketing, voice marketing through smart speakers, authority link building, AI tools for communications people, paid social media, Instagram creativity, and brand transparency. For more information and booking details, go to ddl19.co.uk. That's ddl19.co.uk. I hope to see you there. Having set this network up then, and got it kind of moving and, and software in place, and you know, it, it's, it's taken a couple of years to get where you are now. How do you go about providing people with content that is naturally shareable in terms of something they actually want to share and encouraging them to do it in the right way? And do you provide specific tools for them to do that? I mean, what's the kind of creative process behind that? Yes, it's probably worth just just outlining what LinkedIn Elevate does for me. And I think it's the similar approach no matter what platform you might use. So all these employee advocacy tools, effectively, they create content buckets that allow us as an organization and us as curators to feed that bucket with relevant content. And when I say relevant, I'm really, really keen to make sure that that relevant content is not Zurich specific. If all that's in there is Zurich stuff, that's never going to work because then you become, I think you referenced it earlier and I didn't argue with you at the time, but then they become spokespeople for Zurich. Um, And all they do is selling Zurich stuff. They've just become broadcast marketers and that's not what we want. Um, We want them to have shareable content that raises their profile in whatever platform they've chosen to be on. So yes, some of it will be Zurich. So results, 
gender pay gap, new location information investments in particular parts of the country. So yes, there's that. But we're also feeding in things like insurance sector relevant content or market content or trend information. That's about anything. So given what we do, we've got all sorts of products and services. So we cover everything. So everything out there is a trend in whatever market they're in probably affects Zurich in some way, shape or form. So we need that sort of stuff in there, but also just engaging content. So the sort of shareable things about, have you got colleagues at work who have strange names that people can't pronounce? We all know somebody like that. There's always articles like that that are really shareable, that are engaging, um, that allows people to do it. So that's what we're trying to put in those buckets. How are we doing it? Um, So two two ways. Um, One is we have a a team of curators um, around the business who are in marketing, comms, other people from my Club 140 who I know are already sharing great content anyway because that's what they've been doing who can put things into that bucket straight away but also with the platforms and if you're looking at a platform this is a a key element that you should be looking at is having a way of any employee to share what they find into the system so i've got people in our insurance fraud team who are identifying good fraud stories and recommending it into the system um, or I've got people in our IFA network in the, on the life insurance business who are feeding in issues that are interested to they are, their IFA stakeholders. I'm a comms guy. I don't know much about insurance, really. I don't know what is of interest to our sale retail sales team in our life insurance business because I don't understand pensions, protection, investment, but they do. So if they're, whatever it is that they read, if it's on the internet, they can then share that URL into the system to allow other people to then share it on. Yeah. So it's kind of, I'm encouraging people to use this, use it. So go in and share stuff. But then the crucial thing is finding relevant content for them and people like them within Zurich to then share on. So very different approach. Yeah, and that approach though is what I would consider baseline social media, but applied to an internal yeah. situation. I curate content from all over the place that I read about all various different things relevant to digital comms in my case and all they're doing is the same thing effectively and putting it into this like you say content buckets and people then can go and dip in and find stuff that they are naturally drawn to it's the same same process absolutely right um, and the good thing about the, the platform that we use is that we can see if it works or yeah. not and going back to what people are sharing i was looking at the data the last last couple of days over the last three months of the top 10 pieces of content that people have shared six of them have got nothing to do with Zurich, right. but four of them are about our results are about our gender pay gap improvements on the, on the last 12 months about an investment that we've made in a particular location and, and our dni um, work so really important things are being shared but also and um, there's a load of great content being shared by Zurich people with the Zurich name attached to them because it predominantly is a LinkedIn tool. So when they post something, it says who they work for mm-hmm. on it. So that's the pull through uh, from a brand perspective. So it's lots of stuff being shared. So how much content is put into your internal network in that case? I mean, on an average day, roughly how many pieces get shared into that? Uh, so this year, so it's we're, we're recording this in the middle of March. Um, so there are 100 pieces of content have been broadcast into the system, okay. whether that's by curators or people who have shared it in. So we're, we're trying, I'm trying to make sure that from a user perspective, there's new content going into the UK bucket two or three times a week. Okay. So you don't want people to do too much because then they become, it, it's sort of a, a clue to anyone reading their feed that it's not maybe not as authentic. So it's maybe a couple of new pieces a, a week for people. 
and, and ironically, one of the success criteria of using Elevate is that they don't use it anymore. Right. Uh, if that makes sense. Because they're putting content out there. They're naturally then having good conversations about that content with their network on their on their LinkedIn feed or their Twitter feed, which generates new followers, which generates them seeing relevant content in their uh-huh. area. Then they don't need Elevate anymore because they've, they're getting their feeds building themselves. We're not there yet with anybody, I don't think. Um, but it's certainly well, I'm I'm conscious of the people that we're putting in there. That might be a, a positive outcome of using a, an advocacy platform is that they don't use it anymore. That's interesting. I didn't know what I was going to expect you to say to the answer to that question. But more than that, but I guess it makes sense that if you flood the content system with too much content, people are just not going to take the time to look through it because you know they've got jobs to do effectively. Absolutely. And that's the biggest challenge I get from anyone internally about social is that when do I have the time to do it? Yeah. And and actually a platform like like Elevate or whatever it is you use actually solves that. So I always say, so I've got two sons. I pick them up on a Wednesday night. I pick them up from Cubs at half past seven. I'm in the car park at quarter past seven and I schedule most of my content for the following seven days in that 15 minutes. Everyone listening can probably identify with a period where they've got dead time and having a tool that allows you to do social and to set it up and to schedule it and I'm not a huge fan of scheduling for different reasons but if it helps you to have a regular feed of content going out in your name on your feed to your audience to your network then it's a good thing so any tool that lets you do that is a bonus and helps you kind of reduce the time to do it but you mustn't forget if you are going to schedule it that you also then need to go and engage with people who are engaging with that content yeah i mean the whole way digital technology has moved now i am a hundred percent behind you on this is that sometimes when i'm working with with organizations i get that question well we haven't got time to do this when can i do it and I guess it's down to your own personal preferences, but I'm the same as you. So I uh, take my five-year-old daughter to ballet on a Saturday morning and I have to sit outside that room for like half an hour, three quarters of an hour, whatever it is. And that is my time. I use that time to go through podcasts that I've recorded and make notes on them so I can do my show notes. And it's just a case of intelligently using the technology at your disposal at a time when you can use it. It doesn't need to impact on your day job necessarily if you if you're clever with it i think for sure and, and again it comes back to your why why are you using it are you using it to raise your profile to sell products um to get your next job and that's admittedly people are still using social for yeah, yeah. that i'm not going to get away yeah. from it but what's your why and once you understand your why and then you can prove whether it's working or not then that becomes the reason to keep going back to it and to keep doing it if you're having good conversations with your with your customers, your IFAs, your stakeholders by using this tool. And that's the reason to keep doing it. Do you think that your internal network is now more important than your public facing network? Or is that too much of a stretch? Oh, um, I was agreeing with you up to a point. Do I think it's more important? No, I don't think it's more important, but I think it's absolutely crucial that it's at least on a par. Okay. When I when I talk about social business and anyone listening to this who's part of a, a a large organization, trying to find out what's going on in that organization is often difficult when you're in different locations. Um, there are different bits of the business in one site compared to another. So how do we know what's going on? 
our internal platform now, uh, Workplace by Facebook, is what we're using. I now know far more about what's going on in our organization than I've ever known before. And that's the same for everybody. I know, know, I know where my chief exec is. I know what she's doing. I know what she's saying. I know what her key, key priorities are. I know what problems we might be having on a particular site. And I know what people are doing to fix it. So I can talk more knowledgeably about the organization. But more importantly, I know who the people in the organization are because I can see them. I now know... Um, who the best person in our procurement team to speak to is because we have a relationship, air quotes, through workplace. Right. When it, she, she works in Swindon, but I know who she is. And we've got, I know if I have a problem in that space, I know I can go to her um, and we can have that, or she can at least direct me. And that kind of signpost people, if you like, um, is, is absolutely crucial. So um, being visible on those different platforms is, is as important um, and building that network. But then that's the sort of person I am. And I think as a, as a comms professional, having that network internally so you know how to solve a problem or fix a problem or find a person who knows about subject X, Y, and Z is crucial. It's always been the same for me um, as a PR guy, as a media guy, is that if a journalist calls, I need to know who to go to to answer the question. So that's now empowered. We've now got the tools and the capabilities in most organizations to spread that skill set to, to anybody. Yeah. Okay. So just to finish off then, what are some of the kind of key challenges you've faced with with this whole process over the last couple of years? One is focus. As a social, social media managers mean different things to different people, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in comms, whether you're in internal comms um, and HR as I was for a bit or corporate affairs where I am now. Having, focusing on, on one thing and trying to make that work um, is always crucial because you could spend your day on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the platforms dealing with customer issues or firefighting um, and then not doing that. So challenge would be leadership. Is the leadership on board or at least talking, whether they do or at least they talk a good game? I'm really privileged position that I've got strong leaders who engage both internally and externally on some social and they talk about it positively. But then the main challenge for, for me and us is about getting the message to everybody. So last year I did 28 different team talks of all different sizes in all different parts of the, the country and that's a challenge for people yeah. getting in front of people when they're going through change themselves whether when they're time poor and then having someone like me come up and give them a new toy to play with mm-hmm. and where does that fit into their lives and how do we make the sales so that the challenge is kind of getting the message to as many people as we can and making them believe it um, and that's where actually identifying those internal advocates both internally to then use externally is really powerful because they do the hard work for you i've got a fabulous lady in, in glasgow who i know i can point anybody at and she's she's not in any way shape or form than the person that would spring to mind when you say social media advocate okay she's a little bit older she's in the second career but she's doing such an awesome job in our glasgow team and i know if anyone's i said look at what pauline's doing be like pauline because she's doing it in a subtle way when i say pauline it took me a year to get her to put a profile picture on, on linkedin <laughs> yeah but we've got brokers and ifas who follow her because what she says is important to her sector and her area of expertise right so I kind of point people in her direction. So giving people permission and empowering them to get out and speak out loud is different because it's a very different message to what they might think they, they're going to hear from someone like me or someone like us at Zurich. Okay. That's been really interesting. I think this whole area of employee advocacy and, and internal communications is, is, in fact, it's becoming, to, to my mind, more more important across the board. And that, that means whether it's B2B or B2C, I don't think it matters because people nowadays want to do business with people more than they perhaps ever had. I know it's a bit of a hackneyed phrase, but 
you do business with people that you you know you like and you trust and that's possibly even more important now than it ever has been i think adelman's been telling us that for years the trust barometer has always had academic experts technical experts and people like yourself are the top three people that you trust with messages that is everybody who works for Zurich. Yeah. One that fits in at least one, if not two, if not three yeah. of those three buckets. And now this year's report talked about the employer being as important and that's going right back up. So I, I think you're absolutely right, Paul. It's, it's something that we should all embrace in some way, shape or form. And it will change itself over the next couple yeah, of years. Yeah, of course. I'm yeah. 100 sure that we'll be having a slightly different conversation like this in two, three, four years' time yeah. because something will change. But yeah, the, the principle behind it is, is exactly that. Okay, great. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Where can people get hold of you if they would like to chat to you further about this? I'm Keith Lewis Comms on most platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn. As a, as a social media manager, I'm, I'm generally not that hard to find. So <laughs> Keith, Keith Lewis comms on most platforms or keith lewis zurich will find me i'm sure via the search engine of your choice fantastic well thank you again keith i really appreciate it no problem you can subscribe to digital download on itunes google podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from contact me on twitter where i'm at the paul sutton thank you for listening do you think there is a big issue with getting people towards move? Fucking hell! <laughs> see, this is why I should never be a good do question. them. I should never do them on a Friday morning. I sent to my wife this morning. After, don't after don't set out. them up. Yeah, exactly. Don't set them up for a Friday morning. See, when, when this comes out, though, you'll never know we had. No, this is genius. <laughs> Except I'm recording it in mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly.